thank you sir first of all i think all of us are very really glad to have ramakrishnan sir here with us uh, to speak on this uh, you know topic uh, reflections on contemporary intellectual discourses of islam and modernity uh, you know i mean it, when i looked at the title of today's discussion it uh, reminded me of uh, me attending you know his classes on intellectual thought arab intellectual thought and arab intellectual tradition uh, when i was doing my mphil you know uh, even though i had completed the coursework earlier uh, i had attended uh, i i i did not i couldn't attend all of his classes but i attended some of his classes and you know i really enjoyed that and most of the students who have uh, you know taken his courses in jnu will uh, and in other places also will you know uh tell tell you that you know the kind of depth uh, with which he he is knowledgeable about the subject uh, and to this audience to be very fair there is no he he doesn't really need any introduction but just to you know uh, in terms of the larger audience uh, professor ramakrishnan and ramki sir as we you know most of his students fondly call him Uh, he has been teaching for over three decades, and uh, he had earlier taught at the Mahatma Gandhi University in Kottayam in Kerala in India, and uh, then he has also, you know, uh, was a professor. He was a professor at uh, the Centre for West Asian Studies in Jamia Millia Islamia before he joined uh, JNU, uh, and I think it's now over a decade that he has been teaching in JNU. and uh, one of his very uh, popular courses is on intellectual uh, arab tradition uh, so with without further ado i would uh, now uh, request sir to take over and uh, you know we look forward to your talk sir over to you sir thank you mudas sir um uh, Dr. Kumar Swami, Professor Girijesh Pand, uh, Joseph Kachichian, and uh, many other uh, friends and colleagues here, uh, I'm extremely happy to share some thoughts with you on a very broad topic on uh, contemporary discourses on Islam and modernity, um, which is a huge uh, debate. over fairly long period of time um you know starting from the early 19th century you have that debate in place um the the whole question of reason and revelation and revelation in in islam that that the aspect of 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 faith and the significance of the text uh and in this case the holy book um it's very a, a, a terrain in which uh, uh, you know we may doubt how to apply reason in matters of faith and this question has been there for for a long period of time um the whole um, tradition of egyptian modernity uh you have 
students and intellectuals going to France, for example, the whole um, Nahda uh, happening uh, in the 19th century. You have uh, writings from Rafael Tartavi on uh, the Imam's experiences in, in, in Paris. Um, there is this question at that point of time, the linkages between Islam and Western modernity. Um, then you had a movement per se from Afghani onwards, Abdu in Rashid and others on um, you know, what's called Islamic modernism. Um, so Islam and modernity being placed together rather than as two separate identities. So that Islamic modernist tradition also is, is significant, Abdu's contribution in particular. Um, in the 20th century, particularly in the second half, we had the Iranian revolution, which uh, brought more interest in, in this topic of uh, Islam and modernity, but in particular Islam in the West, uh, which was also a question during colonial times, during the 19th century also. Uh, what Michel Foucault reporting on the Iranian revolution called the, the, the what was seen in the streets of uh, Iran was uh, religions play as uh, the spirit of the spiritless world. He was excited about it um, and was contrasting that with French Revolution, the, the secular moment. Uh, but what you were seeing in, in Iran was uh, the, the religious moment, uh, that kind of uh, religious, uh, not only religious frenzy from, from people, but religion as an informing idea uh, in modern revolutions. Um, that was the time again when, um, um, you know, Edward Said's book, Orientalism, came up and, and the whole debate on, um, you know, uh, the East and the West, uh, Islam and, and West in particular, uh, was happening in the epistemological realm. Then you had um, um, the 9-11 events, again, uh, these questions coming up in a big manner. Um, and, um, you know, in recent decades, there was an upsurge of what is called post-secularism as such, the post-secular moment in, in Dabashi and others. Um, also in the Western world, earlier, you know, hardcore secular thinkers like uh, Charles Taylor and others, um, shifting to political theology, you had this, this moment of accommodating religion in, in one's own thought. Now going back, back to Christian religious thought in Europe, um, Islamic, thought in, in the Arab Muslim world um, and also in, in Iran in a, in a, in a uh, considerable manner. So this is the overall context in which we have to talk something about the Islam modernity debate. Um, and, and most of it, you know, Aziz al-Asma's famous uh, work was Islams and modernities 
in, in plural, um, where one is not talking about a particular Islam and a particular modernity, you know, diverse aspects of both these elements. Um, what we find in, in the intellectual work of uh, uh, the West Asian and North African region is uh, uh, the messing up of things. Um, traditional modernity is sometimes working in such a way that whether this is aspects of modernity or is this an aspect of tradition, there will be lots of confusion in that. Um, so sometimes tradition as modernity or some other times modernity as tradition. So I was talking about the tradition of Islamic modernism and so on. So what is tradition and what's modernity? That, that uh, uh, mixing up of things uh, is, is a very interesting aspect and I, I just will be concentrating on some of those elements uh, in this talk. Uh, in the Arab debates, um, in the intellectual debates and in, in intellectual discourses, uh, the ideas of Torah and Tajdeed are, are brought in. Uh, to denote in a broader manner tradition and modernity um, but they are also used by Arab intellectual to denote heritage and renewal. So um, Torahs as heritage and Tajdeed as, as renewal or modernity in that uh, sense of renewal. But what is interesting is um, the, the, uh, the term Torahs and the term tajdeed, um, it tajdeed not as a, a, a kind of, um, you know, transcending Torahs or, or something that replaces uh, the Torahs, but uh, tajdeed as um, the, the root of tajdeed, for example, is from, uh, you know, um, the term you jaddidu, you know, in, in one of those hadiths that uh, we could see where um, there is a mujaddid, a, a, a renewer coming in every hundred years or so. That uh, So the term for modernity or for renewal is from the tradition itself, from hadith. Um, so you could see that, uh, you know, Modernity is not something that is viewed as European modernity per se, uh, or uh, anything of that sort. What uh, Mohammed Abid al-Jabri, the famous Moroccan thinker, talk about our modernity for him, uh, that's the Arab Islamic modernity. That, uh, that particular aspect where there is some sense of um, either continuity of a tradition or reworking of a tradition in order that they mean something today. That, that aspect is always stressed in, in the very idea of tajdeed. Um, so that, that aspect of jadeed, that, that uh, more newer element is, is what informs 
most of the intellectuals that uh, we are concerned with. Um, the other main thing is the application of human reason, uh, the whole notion of ijtihad, um, where you interpret the text by utilizing uh, reason. And reason, you know, is, is uh, a fundamental kind of uh, um, idea in, in modernity, whether it's European or, or otherwise. The application of reason is very important. Whether it's the tradition of uh, Al-Farabi in, in the um, you know, 10th century, or you know, Farabi himself was working on Plato and Aristotle, so that Aristotelian rationality on the other side, you have that tradition of uh, um, you know, stressing on um, uh, rationality as an important intellectual endeavor um, in the Islamic tradition. Um, you have um, in, um, um, in the Mutasarite tradition, for example, in, in Islam, uh, a kind of emphasis, sometimes an overemphasis on, on, on the notion of reason. Um, and some of uh, the intellectuals like uh, Abid al-Jabri or Hassan Hanafi and others uh, sometimes call themselves as uh, neo-Mutasalites. Um, so contemporary intellectuals referring back to the Mutasali tradition in, 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 in um, a manner that rationality becomes a significant um, you know, focal point of their attention. Um, you have um, you know, writers, whether it is Muhammad Abid al-Jabri or Hassan Hanafi or secular writers who wrote on Islam, the critique of religious reason, for example, by um, you know, um, Jalal Asam, Sadiq Jalal Asam, the Syrian scholar who died in 2016, if my memory is correct. Um, the, these scholars, all of them, you know, worked on Kant, Immanuel Kant. Again, the notion of reason um, comes up in, in, in a big manner in, in these uh, people of uh, contemporary intellectual relevance. Um, you have intellectuals who had influence in recent times in, uh, in the Arab and Muslim world. Fatima Marnesi, for example, the famous Moroccan feminist thinker. Um, you see Jabri, Hanafi, and uh, Marnesi all are Sorbonne educated, French educated. You have the Sadiq Al-Lassam, Yale educated. You have Abdul Karim Sarouj from Iran, um, London <laughs> educated, and so on. So uh, most of these Islamic thinkers are um, basically, uh, you know, having uh, close interaction with the Western world and Western modernity uh, in general. This was true with earlier intellectuals like uh, Ali Shariati in Iran and, and, and 
many other sorry even said kutub uh, you know whose writings on uh, the united states and the and the west was uh, you know informed by his experiences in the western world um so what is interesting is on the one hand you had application of rationality for development of a discourse which is intellectually enriching and which is open ended in the sense that uh, that renewal is a continuing process rather than a closure so that perpetuity of uh, renewal is what uh, what makes it in- interesting but you also have seen in this interaction between um you know islam and western modernity there were closures coming up in certain intellectual effort said kutub is a typical example for that he was uh, talking about western civilization as a whole uh, as um, as jahiliya <laughs> who is in in uh, the period of ignorance uh, so the whole civilization as ignorant civilization who who needs rescue um and that kind of interpretation you know may not lead us uh, any further that may be politically very significant and so on and so forth but uh, there's a closure uh, evolving out of such interpretations of islam and modernity that uh, that happens and this is to an extent um, you know applicable to khomeinian thought and, and other things where islam and west are placed in in antithetical terms um and and you have uh, uh this application of human reason for particular purposes of renewal which is a continuing process that uh, that is some somewhat denied in certain um, intellectual traditions in the region but what interests us more is uh, that uh, freshness that application of reason uh brings up as far as uh, religious ideas are concerned um i will just talk about um uh, say four um, in areas <clears throat> in in very brief terms so that uh, uh, we can um, conclude this as early as possible and we have uh, discussion uh, and most of the time can be taken up for discussion um the the neomuttasilites that i was referring to uh mohammad abid al jabri and hasan hanafi um jabri is no more hanafi um is still active um the um the idea there is in in jabri what you you see the the notions like arab reason um when we hear such terms you know arab reason culturally specific religiously informed notion of reason of rationality um most people may immediately consider that as um, a kind of essentialist argument in 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 most sense but he wanted to to develop a kind of methodology through which the arab islamic cultural terrain and its intellectual traditions brought forward so that specific ways of a standpoint from one's own soil uh, 
but looking at the world, wider world, uh, with his own training in, in, in modern philosophies and, and ideas and his own participation in, in political matters and, and things of that sort. So a notion of Arab reason that is um, you know, asserted in such a manner that uh, from an Arabo-Islamic background, you could see the world, you could uh, uh, interact with the world and, and, and rationality helps in, in the process of connecting with the world, um, with the Western world, Western modernity, but in, in, in um, inventing or reinventing um, tradition or interpreting tradition in such a manner that uh, you have a renewal happening um, at, the, at the intellectual level. Um, you have, um, you know, people like Hassan Hanafi talking not only about, you know, that Saidian paradigm where he, Edward Said talks about the imaginative geography of um, the East and the West, uh, the existence of, uh, you know, the supposedly, um, you know, ontological categories like East and West, and Said criticizes that ontological uh, explanation for these terms. These are uh, part and you know products of uh, of uh, Orientalism as a discourse, so a discursive product in that sense, rather than uh, a predetermined epistemological, a predetermined ontological categories, um, and which was criticized, you know, by Sadiq Jalal Asam in a big manner. Uh, you know, pointing towards the possibility of such. Uh, um, debates for the Islamic world to assert a kind of Orientalism in reverse. And you have seen such assertions in, in the Islamic world in a big manner. Uh, Hassan Hanafi's take on that was, uh, you no, know, he, he was strongly for an Occidentalism, a reverse Orientalism for that matter, um, which was not a radical critique of Said or anything. It was a kind of... Uh, taking up from side um, in a sense uh, so that you know um, what Hanafi like Jabri was suggesting was a situated knowledge about the West for example um, so one's own take on on the West rather than uh, you know fixing oneself up in in the dichotomous kind of situation of the East and West you, you look at them from your standpoint. It's a kind of, uh, you know, what feminists usually call a strategic essentialism. It's an essentialism, but at the same time, it's strategically placed so that there is a writing back possible and, and, and things of that sort. Uh, what in Hanafi you could see his volumes on um, uh, Islam and the modern world, um, or his invitation for dialogue or um, any of such and Islam and revolution and things of that sort, those kinds of works point towards um, uh, a, a situation where you have on the one hand different disciplines, you know, as a philosopher, um, um, sometimes that shifting to a sociological interpretation, a social scientific interpretation, to political interpretations, the, the notion of Islamic left, um, 
a kind of Islamic theology, which in the Iranian case was there in uh, Ali Shariati for that matter. So you could see the notion of revolution used um, in, in, in the, uh, you know, from the traditions of Islam in such a manner that, you know, if a break comes up in a revolutionary sense, um, that may enable oneself in order to, to have newer, fundamentally altered domain of interpretative knowledge. Um, and that epistemological break is something that, uh, that uh, he cherishes in, in one way or, or the other. Um, the, the feminist contribution is a second thing apart from these neo Um, You know, if in Islamic modernism uh, and in this application of reason, as I pointed out earlier, if ijtihad was that hermeneutical exercise, applying reason was significant, it was in recent times used in much more meaningful ways by feminists. Um, the whole, um, you know, sets of writings of Fatima Marnisi, for example, you know, Amin Abadul, Asma Barlas, and, and the whole range of Tiaz uh, Ali and, and, and many others. Um, Fatima Marnisi's ijtihad in one sense of the Hadith tradition, for example or Amin Awadud's uh, take on the Quran and the feminist reading of Quran, a kind of feminist ijtihad. Um, this was uh, very important in the sense, you know, when I started studying about say Egyptian feminism in, in the early nineties, um, there was, you know, every kind of feminist, they were just feminists. But now because of the growth of Islamic feminism, the older kind of feminists have become secular feminists now. That's a new kind of term. Uh, so secular feminism as traditional feminism. Uh, in the Egyptian case, for example, um, Khuda Sharabi and others, Egyptian feminist union um, uh, in the 1920s, uh, um, you know, the whole tradition of Islam uh, and, and that linkage with feminism um, that is the, the broader uh, secular uh, label is now put on them. And the new uh, interpretations are Islamic feminists. So Islam as the, as the most modern <laughs> in, the, in the temporal sense of the term in, in that uh, feminist tradition. Um, so tradition in feminism as secular and new kinds of feminism as uh, Islamic. Uh, so interesting kind of thing. Uh, and the interpretation, you know, using rationality, interpreting whether the whether Quran or the uh, Hadith, uh, sets of Hadith, even, um, you know, critically examining the very selection of Hadith um, and, and that tradition. Um, so you could see feminist evolving an epistemological ground based on their own uh, beliefs and cultures on which they can act uh, locally 
in their particular societies and wage movements and so on and so forth. So this is a, a second element. A third element is uh, the Xi examples, the Iranian case in particular, um, where you had, um, you know, Jalal Ahmed uh, writing on, um, like Occidentalism, uh, writing on Garb Sadaki, the, the West Oxication or West Struckness or Occidentosis, whatever it is called. Um, and you have, uh, you had uh, thinkers in the 70s, like uh, Ali Sharifi, again, French educated, um, you know, applying more or less a, a, a Marxist method, even though there's criticism of Marxism in, um, um, you know, Shariati, but uh, you could see, you know, in the idea of class society and classless society, the power of Abel and the power of Cain, uh, that you could see classless and class societies and, and, and things of that sort. And, and Islamic left again, or Islamic liberation theology, as it was called, uh, was significant. And some uh, people attached to such ideas, not everyone, but some of them were mentioned as Islamic Marxists during that, that period, which is a term you can't hear anymore. But uh, that was also uh, there at that point of time. The interesting debate is between um, in a sense, it's not a debate among themselves. They had enough debate but between Ali Shariati and the contemporary intellectual Abdul Karim Sarush, where uh, Sarush's uh, take on Shariati was that people like Shariati, intellectuals like Shariati, made Islam too obese, <laughs> you know, uh, put up lots of weight, <laughs> actually, um, because for everything from politics to daily lives to whatnot, uh, Islam is, is brought in as um, a, an important tool for, not only for analysis, but also as an important resource for any kind of interpretation for that matter. And Abdul Karim Sarush as an Islamic intellectual in the Shi tradition is interested more in, in the otherworldly sense of Islam, not this worldly sense. Liberation theology is the this worldly sense of, uh, of uh, religion, of Islam. The otherworldly sense is important for Sarosh because, you know, you invoke um, religious ideas. You call God, for example, if you are a believer, uh, you know, seek an intervention in your, in your matter when you are in, in big crisis, moral crisis, for example, or big laws. A society calls for religious principles when a society is in huge crisis. Um, it is on moments of uh, great uh, you know, moral and ethical dilemmas that you invoke religion, not otherwise. And that is the way in which a secular life for people are possible. At the same time, a belief, uh, you know, in the sense of that otherworldliness of religion, that is also possible. And, 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 and these kinds of, you know, 
Sadur's whole idea of making Islam lean, you know, uh, you know, making it to do some exercises so that uh, it, it becomes lean. It, its application on every single matter, what we eat, to to uh, you know, all kinds of things that can be minimal, and uh, the the application of religious principles for very significant matters alone. So you can see in contemporary intellectual debates, what you see is um, this mixing up, as I've mentioned earlier, of um, um, tradition, modernity, where the demarcation is not very easily possible. Um, so in a way, there are culturally specific ideas of you know, Occidentalism or our modernity, as Jabri mentions it, and, and so on and so forth. But Islam for them is, since it has that universalist character, um, so one need not necessarily be talking about that cultural specificity, even though that's a standpoint, that's from where you speak. Uh, but uh, universalist notions within the religion is what makes you to connect to other people. So it's not a closure by any means. Um, that renewal is always possible. Uh, and this kind of thinking is also against the notions of, uh, you know, Islam and modernity ideas, which brings about closures, as I mentioned with examples earlier. So a rational hermeneutic, uh, process or an ijtihad uh, in that sense is um, a tool uh, for making um, you know this continuous renewal possible i'll stop there and i'll be very happy to take up uh, some questions and hear your comments over to modasser yeah thanks thanks a lot sir i think that was uh, certainly a uh, exhilarating you know talk it it kind of you know uh, uh, goes inside and you know makes makes you think in a different way certainly and uh, i think you have uh, raised a lot of uh, curiosity among all the you know among the whole of audience especially with with relation to the uh, you know the idea of the dichotomy between or how to kind of bridge the gap between, uh, the, I mean, the discourses on rationality, reasoning, and then faith. Uh, I think that is something which is which is very important, especially given the kind of uh, you know discourses and debate. Also, in terms of you know uh, you know radical kind of debates, also which comes within the uh, Islamic Islamic tradition. Uh, so, uh, and I'll not take a lot of time. I can see a lot of people who would be, uh, you know, curious to ask questions. I, I can, I, I, I can see uh, Gulshan Ma'am is here. Ma'am, would you like to uh, ask a question or react to, uh, you know, the discussion which uh, uh, Sir has, you know, really kind of raised right now? Well, this is, I could join your webinar very late. So I have missed half his uh, talk, but I enjoyed the rest of what I could get. And uh, 
Ramakrishnan, so nice to see you after a long time and do come back to us. How long are you going to stay on? <laughs> thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Thank, I think thank, that, thank you, Professor Dito. <laughs> That certainly reflects the sentiment of all of us, all, all the students and your, you know, colleagues. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I I could all I also saw uh, Pansa uh, was here, sir. Would you like to ask a question or yeah, any any of your comments? I think we have lost uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, lost connection to Pansa. Uh, Professor Kishishian, would you like to uh, come in here? maybe react to the points? Well, uh, yes, thank you very much. This was a wonderful talk. And um, if it were titled Christianity and Modernity and Reflections on the Discourses, I would have taken us back to the Renaissance period, knowing full well that Islam, unfortunately, uh, still has not gone through its Renaissance period. Uh, the question that I have for you is what is preventing, in your view, the rise, not just of renewal, which we see periodically, and all of these renewal proponents are quickly sidelined, if not assassinated, like happened with Mr. Fuda in Egypt a couple of years ago. If, if in fact, we put that aside, what is preventing the rise of genuine conversation within the Muslim world about the value of modernization. Is there, is there an inherent reason that is preventing believers to actually embark on this fundamental quest? How do we go about it, Mubasar? You'll take oh, a I few comments together or... You can, or, I think, respond, sir, and then we can... Okay, take. okay. Uh -huh. um, you know, um, Ketchishian has, uh, um, you know, put forward a very huge <laughs> question. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I have no immediate kind of answers, but some reflections on that. So, um, you know, scholarship has, has a as a limitation in that sense, you know, uh, that to what extent it can influence uh, social-cultural transformation is, is, a, is, a, is a significant question. We don't know the answers to that. It may have influences in society. But what we see in, um, in, in the intellectual climate of, uh, uh, you know, the West Asian and North African region in particular is a kind of, uh, you know, politicization of religion to such extents that, uh, that uh, you know, the intellectual dynamics, the actual knowledge dynamics of it is mostly lost. And what dominates in, in um, you know, discourses everywhere is this, you know, linkage between politics and Islam, uh, not about you know, rationality as, as an element of thinking and rethinking and reconstituting uh, things. And, and, you know, in a way, if applied to social and cultural realities can help us overcome uh, all kinds of, uh, 
you know, hierarchies that uh, we have inherited. And on the other side, dominant uh, forces that are at work. On both sides, this, this critique would, would uh, allow us to, to go forward. So somewhere that uh, those voices are still not uh, the dominant voices, even though we academics take some interest in that and, and, and reflect upon it. That's one thing. The other thing is the whole, uh, you know, um, the way in which modernity is applied and modernization as a process, uh, a socioeconomic process or a political process, the whole debates on, you know, when we say Islam and modernity, those debates on democracy, on human rights, um, and, and, and things of that sort uh, come up very often. Um, but the looking back, what are the problems with our societies? This is the question where, you know, after the 67 war, Sadiq Jalalassam was criticized for, a lot for writing that book, Self-Criticism after, after Defeat, because he was not placing all his blames on, on Israel alone, but uh, on the Arab world itself. Why this backwardness? Why this inability to stand on your own legs? So thinking about you know, the trajectories in, in which modernity has gone and, and ultimately ending up with these closures that we have been talking about, rather than looking at the possibilities of change within each society. So uh, rethinking about the directions in uh, that uh, society, culture and economy has taken, rethinking about politics um, with an insight into, into much of what we have been talking about, you know, that acumen that we have, that human rationality that, that we have, that is required, I think. Uh, but as I said, this is a very big question. Uh, we have to think about it collectively. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I can also see uh, that uh, Ambassador Fabian is with us uh, today for the discussion. And uh, may I invite you, sir, to uh, take the floor and, you know, if you have any questions or comments. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, so glad to see Professor uh, 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 Ramakrishnan. And uh, only thing is that I came a little late, but uh, I still, what shall I say, dare to ask a question, if I may. Now, the question is about modernity. To my mind, the West has prevented Islam from moving towards modernity, especially political modernity. For example, in the 1880s, when Egypt was moving towards constitutional monarchy, Great Britain and France intervened. And in fact, Great Britain prevented that move towards constitutional monarchy. And if I remember right, that military officer, he was sent to Ceylon and he died there. You know who wanted a constitutional monarchy? His name escapes me for the time being. Now, also in 1953, 
in Iran, when Mossadegh wanted to move Iran towards uh, democracy, again the West intervened. And more recently in Gaza, when there was an election, free and fair, and the political party came to power, the West intervened, especially at the bidding of uh, Israel. Now, coming to Israel, after all, Israel is part of that region and a very important part of that region. Well, modernity means separation of religion from the state. Well, Israel has done the other way. Israel has identified state and religion, and that's why it wanted to establish a state only for those who hold a particular religion. So my question to Professor Ramakrishna is, to what extent has the West succeeded in the past, and perhaps goes on succeeding even now, in preventing the Islamic world from moving towards rationality and modernity because the West has its own interests to take care of and therefore it is able to prevent the, any modernization which might conflict with its own interests. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Fabian. Um, that again is, is huge. Uh, um, one has to go into the history of Western interventions. But uh, since my talk was limited to the knowledge dimension of it, uh, the intellectual dimension of it, uh, you're absolutely right when you say that, you know, colonial hegemonic kind of modernity coming from the West uh, affected people's lives in the region in a big manner. Uh, you know, sometimes these notions, um, the othering of, of Islam, for example, that also could make uh, uh, the Muslims uh, not only simply the other of that uh, discourse, but also somebody who can, um, you know, that civilized mission can happen, <laughs> or if you, if you refuse to be civilized, then uh, it's the end of uh, your existence. That that kind of uh, you know interventions happened, uh, decimating the uh, the very existence of uh, you know diverse belief systems, etc. That colonial modernity is at one level, and and the reflections of that at different points of time is what uh, Ambassador Fabian was referring to. Um, so. The intellectual contributions from the West for which, which assisted colonial enterprises, which developed notions about the other, that had, um, had practical implications of uh, decimating cultures, etc. We, we know the history of colonialism and things of that sort. And in a way, you know, the West could not come out of this. Uh, these othering processes in a, in a big manner that still persists um, as, as uh, you know, an important notion and, and which comes up. And, uh, you know, in our, 
our particular countries or in the Islamic world, uh, in general, there were, there were people, you know, what I called uh, the orientalized oriental, you know, one, one who <laughs> molds oneself uh, along in the mirror image of, of uh, these kinds of hegemonic notions so that they perpetuate in, in particular societies. So, yes, uh, these kinds of notions, hegemonic notions, um, do not allow us to, to look into the resources, intellectual resources that we have. And that's precisely why I was touching upon certain intellectuals, reflecting upon the, the requirement to apply one's own thinking and not thinking about modernity as hegemonic modernity of somebody else, but modernity as a process that, that can come up from your own standpoints. Uh, as a as a process of renewal, this is important. I think. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, we have uh, Ambassador Sanjay Singh also uh, with us, sir. Uh, may I request you to take the floor, and if you have any questions or comments? Thank you. Thank you very much, Mudassar. I have listened to the lecture with great interest. This is not an area in which uh, I have to be a student in this area rather than ask questions. I'll stay quiet. Thank you. But thank thank you. you very much, Professor Ramakrishna, for this very erudite uh, exposition. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Sanjay Singh. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, ma'am, Seema, ma'am, would you, do you have any question or anything? Would you like to make any comment? You would need to unmute, ma'am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, no question, but it was a wonderful talk. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks, ma'am. Thank you, sir. May, may I now uh, request Moinuddin, who wanted to ask a question. Moinuddin, would you like to come in here? Uh, am I audible? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, my question, I was just... Uh, uh, a lot of things that you've said, uh, you've taught us in the class. Uh, but uh, my question is on the current happening. See, sir, Marxism came under extreme uh, criticism after the, you know, Syrian crisis, during the Syrian crisis, I would say. A lot of Marxist thinkers were, you know, said to be supporting the Assad regime and all. So I I'm, I'm just wondering what is the future of, uh, you know, Marxism in the intellectual dynamics uh, in West Asia in the near future? Yeah. Thank you, Oynodin, um, for, for that. Again, that's big, you know, depending upon which country we are talking about. You've been, um, you know, you are referring to Syria. Uh, but one of the Syrian intellectuals that I mentioned, who is no more, uh, Sadiq Jalal Lassan, he is a Marxist, as you, as you know. Uh, but he was part of uh, that... Uh, Hundred intellectual uh, initiative in order for uh, you know political reforms in Syria could happen. So uh, you know they were not in in favor of um, an authoritarian uh, regime continuing as it is um, in, in in Syria. Uh, but as you have mentioned, uh, there were many uh, who were inclined to. Um, towards communist movements and etc. 
yes there is a support to the regime as well but um, i have not seen many who are extremely relevant in the intellectual sense who have been doing this uh, so um, you know the region at one point of time whether it's yemen oman uh, iran in, in particular or turkey or syria uh, or you know sometimes in uh, iraq as well communist movements were uh, very significant movements at one point of time uh, but now you know they have been on the decline for for quite some time now uh, very significant voices are not being heard in any big manner mainly because of the change in the political character of of the region itself uh, but uh, you know important intellectuals uh, whom we recognize uh, at an international level i have not seen many of them doing doing that yes since they are secular in character and their opposition to islamic movements etc yes there is a tendency for some to to side with the regime there thank you sir somia Uh, there was some questions uh, from you uh, would you like to come in here maybe you can compress since you had asked i think two or three questions if you can compress it a bit and uh, you know ask your question um good evening sir uh, sir there were a couple of questions that i had posted on the chat um so i wanted to ask regarding the recent developments that have happened with regard to israel the outreach that has been done by uae and other countries uh, uh, and having uh, agreements with it is it due to like uh, realism and a rationality of geopolitical uh, reality uh, as a major reason for going and collaborating with israel or having these agreements or is it uh, because of the traditional rationality of harmony with the neighborhood and your peers uh, is it being guided by that so like does this move for israel finds any support in islamic modernity or is or and can we take the improved relationship with israel as a major indicator of islamic modernity uh, and my second question was sir regarding to modernize yeah yes sir just stay with one let them yeah keep it to if we, so that we can have you know other people also <laughs> can ask if if there would be more time we'll come back to you okay thank you so no that question on you know current relationship between or uh, the signing of uh, new agreements between israel and um uh, you know the gulf countries that's another topic altogether i think we will stick with uh, the intellectual aspects um, in in this talk uh, i think a speaker two weeks back has already spoken about that in the mai platform itself um, I, uh, whether somia has um, listened to him or not i, I don't know uh, on on this aspect so it's very difficult to mix these things up these things true I completely agree with your <laughs> point 
uh, we had another question from uh, Rahul Kumar who wanted to ask something related to uh, radicalization and you know the dichotomy between modernity and radicalization. Uh, Rahul, would you do you want to ask your question? Probably you can read it if he's not there. Yeah. So the question was about uh, the inherent contradiction uh, between Islamic modernity uh, and the uh, you know the the, the theological uh, preachings of uh, you know scholars like Qutb and Hassan al Banna and Abdul Wahab. Uh, in terms of he's talking about the mainly he's talking about the uh, the dichotomy between uh, the modernist scholar and the Islamist, you know, radical, radical scholars. So hmm. I would like to reflect on that soon. Okay. Um, you know, much of uh, what is described in that question, I would put in the kind of enclosures that, that developed in this debate between Islam and modernity, that closure that I was talking about, uh, rather than moving further forward. Um, it, you know, it, it was Sami Subaida uh, once mentioning that all fundamentalisms are modern. Uh, so the, uh, what you have is, uh, you know, these are not uh, some kind of traditional within quote, responses. These are modern responses. Uh, uh, to to our conditions, you know. That's why I said, you know, Said Qutb's own education in the United States um, and his own, um, you know, criticism of that from his standpoint. He claims it uh, uh, um, as an Islamic uh, standpoint and so on. That, that complete essentialism and that, uh, you know, putting Islam and the West in particular here, or Western modernity in general, into two antithetical compartments. That, that's what uh, is a closure that I was, because the borders are too, too tight and close. Uh, there's no window opening for, for dialogue, for reconciliation with uh, the other parties. So uh, this is a response to modernity um, maybe sometimes a response to hegemonies, but um, it in itself becomes, these critiques in itself or in themselves become hegemonic in character because of that essentialism that it, it furthers. Uh, so the dialogue is, is not possible. Uh, the, the intellectuals that I was mentioning is more for the dialogue to, to happen rather than shut oneself up in, in certain notions about one's own religion and culture. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, uh, while uh, we have some other question, I thought perhaps I can also ask, uh, take this opportunity to ask. Why not? Why not? So one of the, one of the, uh, the two very short actually questions. One of the things which uh, quite often is raised in the debate is about the uh, the status of uh, minorities, uh, you know, in Muslim societies, and uh, you know, many of these uh, intellectual tradition also have kind of uh, brought these issues of the treatment of minorities. The sometimes, you know, uh, it, it 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 becomes very abusive, or uh, sometimes, you know, there is a kind of uh, 
obviously friendly coexistence, but then uh, not the equal uh, status. You know, many a times this is this is a criticism that is that comes, and I think many of these scholars, uh, for example, uh, if I remember it correctly, I think Abu Al uh, Khalid Abu Al Fadl also has, you know, uh, touched upon these issues. A Kuwaiti scholar. Uh, so, uh, if you would like to uh, react to that, and very quickly, sir, just to add, many a times we also see that in in Muslim societies, uh, scholars who who sometimes do not adhere to uh, the you know established norms. I mean, even those scholars who who are you know we understand as Islamic Islamic modernist scholar, uh, or those who uh, kind of cross to the rejectionist kind of a for example scholars like uh, uh, you know feminist like ayan hirsi ali or for example taslima nasreen they are kind of you know they face a lot of uh, criticism from the society and you know sometimes even threats so i thought maybe these two quick questions if i can add the first one once more uh, the crux of it I just uh, lost it. It. It, was, it was on minorities. This issue of okay. minorities. Uh, 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 yeah, and um, you know, most of uh, the scholars I was, uh, you know, dealing with and I'm concerned with, um, have this notion. That's why I said uh, Islam's in, in, <laughs> or modernity is in, in plural. That diversity is very. Very significant, and whether it's Hanafi or uh, Jabri or um, people like that, I I've mentioned, where you have that diversity is recognition. Some of them refer back to the, the Prophet's tradition on the Madina Charter, for example. Um, somewhere you can have that sense of incorporation of not only people of the book. In that sense of the Abrahamic tradition, but also you know even animists, you know tribals uh, of, of various kinds. Uh, so there are resources that 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 can be mobilized for addressing the minority question in the Islamic tradition. But how do you do that? Uh, you know, one way of doing that was in the in in Turkey in the Tanzimat period and so on. Um, there are there are the the Ottoman model for that matter. There are, there are many things available. Whether this is translated into policies by states, that's another matter altogether. Most of the time, these do not have that kind of. Even though you know the Islamic Republic of Iran has um, reservations in the parliament for. Uh, the Sorastrans, the Jews, and the Christians, uh, but uh, you know, generally, what you see is these things are not translated into policy. Um, the other thing about uh, uh, you know certain feminists describing Islam in in, in particular manners, you know, I'm sympathetic to their state of affairs, you know, Taslima's uh, in, in problems with uh, the Bangladeshi society and, and regimes intermittently and so on. Um, 
what um, some of them are talking about, um, sometimes you, know, you could see that um, the sensitivity towards uh, people of the religion is sometimes lost. Um, that may be coming up due to, due to their you know, terrible situation in which they are placed. Um, but their notion about uh, you know, the people of faith, either around them or uh, far off, that uh, there is a big gap between the actuality of religious life and the way that is perceived by them because the personal experience are mostly extrapolated as and generalized to, to talk about Islam um, in, in a particular manner. That generalization, which is a kind of uh, you know, closure that which I was mentioning about earlier, um, because one has to recognize the pluralities of views. So that's why, you know, when you have Islamic feminists who are interpreting them, some of them may be sympathetic to, to your cause. You know, they, they may not be putting Islam all together uh, in, in one bracket. So that diversity, recognition of that is very, very significant. I'm sympathetic to their, their plight, and that's also important. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh Prem, you wanted to uh, ask some question, if you can come in here. Uh, sorry, sir, uh, we have already crossed the time. If, if we can extend it a bit, if with your permission. I, I have no problem if there are no Prem. problems for the organizers. <laughs> sir, we can extend, right, sir? <laughs> okay. okay. Prem, please. Thank please. you. Thank you, Mudasir, and thank you, sir, for uh, this wonderful listening to you. Just quick uh, two questions. Uh, one is that uh, whenever there is a debate about Islam and modernity, there is so much kind of a domination about the Arab world in that sense. And in the intellectual traditions, we have somehow missed that South Asian, which is somehow there have been like Madhudi for that matter, Sir Sayyid Ahmed and all these people. Though there is a debate in pan-Islamism about these intellectuals, but still we see there is kind of an apathy from the the Western also responds to that, how the Islam is, Islamic modernist is responding to the Western imagination of Islam or that matter, the dichotomy. That is one. And the second is that, sir, uh, uh, do we see that kind of an intellectual fatigue in, in terms of that uh, with the change of the shift in the nature of the politics, the rise of the social media for that matter, the changing shift in every sense of the life itself and that the core importance about the speaking truth to power by the intellectuals somehow does not give too much importance or garnered a lot of support from the masses in general with the rise of the public sphere. Would you like to respond to two questions? Thank you. Okay. Um, I think on uh, um, intellectuals from South Asia for that matter, uh, you know, I don't find marginalization uh, in the discourses on modernity, for example. Uh, when you discuss Ijtihad and other things, Sir Sayyid Ahmad Khan is always uh, there in those, those discussions um, on, on modernity, on, on, the, on the questions of that. Um, you know, I was mentioning about uh, Hassan Hanafi, he himself was 
written a biography of Iqbal. Uh, for that matter, there is interaction between South Asian ideas and uh, you know intellectuals from West Asian and North African region. Um, since you know this is um, a Middle East <laughs> uh, forum. Um, we are concentrating on that, and my specialization is also on this region, West Asia and North Africa. So that's why you may find more prominence. But I mentioned American intellectuals like Amin Abadud in my in my talk from other regions also. But it is there. It's not complete uh, complete isolation because you know there are innumerable studies. Uh, on South Asian Islam. That's, um, there's no doubt in, in that. Yes, if you are an area studies specialist on South Asia, that, that would be, you know, there it would be recognized. I think. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Saad, you wanted to ask something. Uh, hi, Ramki. Thank you for this opportunity. I, I was just wondering um, throughout uh, the entire reflection and ideas about uh, question of reason and tradition and most important, importantly, revelation. So most in most of uh, these cases, I normally find that the, that the idea with positivism is very much at the center. And my question is, how do you look at the question of positivism among scholars of the uh, scholars or Arab thinkers normally, for example, Sadiq Jalal Azam or Al Jabri. You know, Al Jabri places it as uh, you know uh, the the belief in um, in science. Uh, so uh, science and, and 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 modernity and that application of reason. Um, in not only in the instrumentalist sense of that, but also um, in a more philosophical sense as well. But, you know, the way he distinguishes between, say, Sufism and uh, scientific thought in Islam. Um, Sufism, he is not uh, rejecting Sufism, but saying that that's a personal trait. You know, you can be a, you know, attracted to Sufism or you can be a Sufi. And, and so on and so forth. But scientific thinking is something different. And that is where methodological issues, that's where. So positivism in that sense of asserting rationality of science is uh, available in, in the thought of Jabri in, in, in particular, uh, no doubt about it. But, you know, Sometimes we, we do not mean this as positivism in many other cases where, you know, in, in, you have in the Popperian sense or in other sense. Um, I'm not going into, into that, but in Jabri, yes, it is there. Uh, Ahmed, Ahmed, you wanted to ask something? Ahmed Tashri? Yeah, uh, thank you, sir, for uh, providing a very insightful lecture. Actually, my question is more regarding the, uh, the these uh, intellectual traditions or, or scholars, how much 
uh, how much popularity or uh, or popularity they have in their in the masses because for any intellectual tradition or thought to be successful it is more related either it is the public support or the political support so in this case uh, because of what we see in the report that either there are dictatorship or there are the the uh, the uh, monarchies so what happens that in this case whenever any intellectual traditions appear most of the time it has been tried to be discredited by the established uh, we say the the we can say that, that the religious ulama kind of things so my question is how much these traditions are actually these scholars what is their uh, basis i mean from where they are coming and what kind of their base is there have more popular support or they have uh, they are a thinker but they are not that much into the public pulse so that is my question actually i think uh, i would like to put in that way that uh, that uh, in the pol- in this uh, arab world basically what happens that whenever any uh, new scholar and author appears it is first discredited by the regime or by the established religious ulamas so mm-hmm. that is what i wanted to know if uh, mm-hmm. they have any kind of uh, from what basis they are coming either they are coming from traditional school of thought and then they have changed or they have independent but they have uh, some kind of popular support thank you thank you yeah i agree with you that there is suppression of intellectual activity in in several countries um, of the region that we have been discussing um that's true but uh, you know intellectual when I, when i refer to al farabi that my or an ibn khaldun you know they 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 are historical figures they do not mean anything for the public in general at any point of time but for the intellectual circles they are uh, ever relevant um, we we look back we, we discuss about them contemporary intellectuals also if they are they stand the test of the time um they are relevant in the sense not about their popularity but the the force of their ideas the uh, you know the sense in which this is placed in a, in an intellectual tradition which rather than in a, in a scattered you know some people emerging here and there and talking about something rather than that you know for example this idea of turaz and tajdid it is shared by islamic intellectuals shared by secular intellectuals um, and and so on so you have certain frameworks emerging in in a in an intellectual tradition and then you place yourself there not only as contributing as a contributor to that tradition of uh, intellectual thought but also somebody who connects with the rest of the world from from there in that sense there is meaning to our discussion in the academic circles about these things the the popularity sometimes for example hasan hanafi it's not his works that uh, makes him very unpopular in in the public sense you know there's fatwas against him that um i've gone to his house he, um in cairo spend a 
whole Sunday with him a few years back. Uh, there was death threat to him, actually. Uh, but still, you know, nobody is around. Uh, you know, I could just go in without any problem. Um, such intellectuals, established people, uh, there are threats coming up from all kinds of sources, especially, um, you know, Islamic institutions and the state. But that does not, you know, that popularity in, in, the, in that sense of opposition coming from all sides, that also places them in a, in a relevant kind of condition in this sense. In, um, in, even though in a negative sense from, from there, but that's also a response to the, uh, it creates a kind of shock to, to established notions. So his own reference on, on, on many things, some of which uh, many people may find offensive, uh, but he was uh, ready to speak about it. Um, so mostly intellectuals become famous only when such attacks come <laughs> up. Otherwise, they are part and parcel of uh, the, the usual academic uh, circles. Uh, you know, in our circles, we can discuss about them. But those ideas, you know, uh, I always tell students most of the time, ideas once produced have their own life. You know, we, we do not have any control, it's better not to have any control on them. They may germinate in some other manner, in some other context, uh, some will persist, some will transform, many things can happen. So it's very difficult to say a definite thing about how ideas function and what therefore is the contribution of an intellectual. That's not measured by popularity. Uh, or Thank you, sir. Soumya, do you want to, uh, you wanted to ask uh, the second question? Would you like to come in here? Uh, all right, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity again to ask the question. So the lecture was really lovely and I've learned a lot from the questions that have been asked so far. So my question was basically uh, whether the modernization that we have seen in Arab countries so far has that translated into modernity within Islam and the interpretations of the holy book. For instance, if we take uh, the relevance of music in Islam, traditionally it's very important, but Saudi Arabia had a total ban against films uh, and music. And having it been revoked by the crown prince has that really translated into modernity in Islam? For example, acceptance of music and the removal of prejudice against the women musicians? Yes. Um, one thing that, as I was discussing here, these debates on modernity was happening over, over a fairly long period of time now. Uh, say, uh, early 19th century onwards. Um, it, it is not restricted by nation state borders and sovereignties and other things. Knowledge dynamics has its own, its own way of expressing itself. Uh, but yes, you are right. Particular national context uh, creates, you know, lots of impediments, for example, for translating ideas into action or that context determining the very status of the intellectual and so on and so forth. Uh, but, you know, 
as as a kind of general idea these ideas are created very often in spite of the obstacles that are being created and there is an audience for that that audience is a limited uh, you know academic or intellectual audience but it is there all ideas are not translated into action um, these policies or particular kind of uh, you know notions about islam by states that may not be the actual reflections on everybody on the intellectual side so um, th- that differentiation needs to be made thank you sir there was one question from khairun nisa uh, khairun nisa would you like to ask hello everyone uh, hello sir thanks for uh, the lecture so i have very uh, small and quick questions uh, the first question is that how does islamic modernity address the question of rationality and second thing that i wanted to know is uh, what in your opinion qualifies modernities as modernities um, for for example in case of shi modernities in iran and iraq thank you i think uh, dr kaizunisa is, is an expert on 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 these topics herself so <laughs> she is just putting me in you know testing me is <laughs> in a, in a sense. no not at all <laughs> i'm just joking um yes in she modernity you know you you yourself worked on usuli istihad um what is interesting is um the usulis in the 19th century and in the 20th century um they were placed as uh, people who are against the akbaris the the uh, you know literalist uh, and therefore the traditionalist in that sense uh, so the usulis applied its tihad they applied human reason for their in- interpretation uh, but what you have seen is that uh, that interpretation ultimately you know giving rise to you know in a in a liberative manner and so on it, they become so conservative in, in the sense so rationality and that application of it uh, at one point of time at the initial stages in opposing the akbaris etc they were very significant but it ultimately is uh, solidified also in terms of um, you know very conservative ideas so people have, you know very conservative lamas for example or you know they utilize istihad but utilize them to create more closures rather than more openings that we have discussed about where is intellectuals here so um, but she tradition also as mentioned ali sharif has mentioned uh, abdul karim sadoshan and others they have also opened up Uh, the way starts for revolutionary ideas on the one hand or um, that that whole exercise of leaning is making that minimalist statements about islam in sarur's case and so on so application of rationality is done by different people in different sense you know one set of direction went into uh, into your own words for example that vilayat uh, faqi idea and and so on so clergy ruling the country the jurists own rule 
but uh, you know, same interpretations of uh, or same techniques of interpretations in the Shi'i tradition created uh, ayatollahs who who do not want this kind of uh, clergy rule. So there are many of them. So interpretations differ in that sense. Some provide newer opportunities, some others become a closure, as I've mentioned. But a very rich tradition in, in the Shi'i Islamic, um, the, you know, whether it's uh, Najaf or whether it's Qom or Mashad, um, Iran and Iraq, this uh, is very important. Thanks a lot, sir. I think uh, everyone would agree that you know this was a wonderful exposition on the contemporary, uh, you know, Islamic thought and Arab thought, uh, and how the discourse on modernity is, you know, is is specifically specifically, you know, uh, coming in the intellectual tradition. Uh, thanks a lot for taking time, sir, and joining us. Uh, uh, I would now request uh, sir to take over and say the final word.